This is Power for Living, the Bible teaching ministry of Christ the King Church in Wakefield, Massachusetts. I'm your host, Feliciano Segundo, and our teacher is Father Michael Carl. So get all your Bibles and let's get started. For our teaching time today, we're going to go over the Hebrews passage from Hebrews 11, verse 29 through 12, verse 2. And right away, it says, By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. What we have to decide here and make a distinction is the difference between faith and courage. You see, the Egyptian army, no doubt, had plenty of courage. They followed the Pharaoh out into the desert and hoping to catch the Israelites. But here's the difference. The Israelites had faith. And it's because of that faith that the waters were drawn back and they stayed that way until all of the Israelites crossed on dry ground. And then once all of them were across the body of water, Moses motioned again and the waves came crashing down on the Egyptian army. They all might have died. They all did die, but they died being courageous. But the Israelites had faith. That's different. Faith and courage are very different between the two because faith, you put the object of your faith in God. If it's courage, you're putting all of your trust in your ability to come through. Everybody understand the distinction there? It's who the object it, to whom whatever it is is directed. Courage is, I got to do this. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. Like the little engine that could. I think I can. I think I can. But faith says, oh God, I can't do this on my own. I got to have your help. I got to have you involved in this process. So, as a result, the water came back. And the Egyptian army was drowned. Now by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled seven days. What we're doing here is we're seeing at Jericho, the Israelites had two or three different kinds of faith. At Jericho, the people of Israel had a daring faith. There was no turning back, having already crossed the Jordan River at flood stage. And that cut off any line of retreat. At Jericho also, they had an obedient faith. They did not really understand what God was doing, yet they obeyed nonetheless. And after they had gone around the town for a few days, they had patient faith. At Jericho, the people of Israel exercised patient faith because the walls didn't fall down for the first six days. Yet they kept marching as God commanded. And they also had an anticipating faith. They knew God would act on the seventh day when they shouted. Now, we go on. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab chose at that moment to believe in Yahweh, the God of Israel. She shifted her allegiances, didn't she? 
So she changed from being one of the more notorious sinners in that city because the text clearly identifies her line of work here. But she hid the Israelite spies. And so that God received Rahab should be comforting to us given the fact that she was this notorious sinner in the city. The grace of the Lord is not limited to those who have made good life choices. And that's a good thing. It extends to all people who are willing to rest in Jesus alone, turning from their sin. The church, that's us, must be prepared to receive all kinds of people into fellowship, especially those with a disreputable background. If God receives them through faith in Christ, we can't refuse to do so. And this, I'm reminded of a story where on one Sunday, this, for lack of a better way to describe him, this hippie came into a church sanctuary. He had holes in the knees of his jeans. He was wearing no shoes. He had hair down to his shoulder blades. And his shirt was dirty and spotted with you know, oil stains and stuff like that. And he walked down the aisle and he sat leaning up against that wall that separates the first row from the narthex, or no, not not, the chancel. He sat down and leaned up against that. And all the people in the church were, (gasps) you know, because here's this guy coming in who looks like, well, looked pretty dirty. Everybody was wondering what would happen, but the chairman of the elder board of that church got up. And everybody said, oh gosh, he's going to throw him out. But what did that guy do? He went up there, sat down beside the hippie, and he leaned up against the wall and received that chap into fellowship. That's what we have to be able to do. Is Even if somebody walks through that door and they look like something that just crawled out from under a rock, we have to be prepared to welcome them in here because Jesus ate dinner with tax collectors and prostitutes and the undesirable of those towns that he went to. He went to Pharisees' houses of all places because the Pharisees were out to get him, but he still went to a dinner held by a Pharisee. Jesus received those people who came to him by faith. Can we do any less than that? Let's move on. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness and became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead. By resurrection, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. That means they had a bunch of rocks thrown at them, by the way. Not the other popular definition of that word. They were sawn in two. That was Isaiah. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. 
of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. It says they were stoned and sawn apart, or sawn in two. They were tempted, they were slain with a sword. They went around in sheepskins and in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and ill-treated. Zechariah, the prophet that wrote the next to the last book of the Old Testament, was stoned between the porch and the altar. He was going into the house of the Lord, and the people stoned him to death right there. And again, Isaiah was sawn in two. 2 Kings 19.10 tells us of prophets being killed by the sword. The prophet Uriah was killed by the sword, and that's in Jeremiah 26, verse 23. Prophets were often destitute, afflicted, and ill-treated because they spoke against the powers that be at the time. Elijah went around in goatskins. And you can imagine... I mean, when we've, we've talked about John the Baptist any number of times and talked about his clothing, of camel's hair, and we've remarked about how badly that had to have smelled. Well, goat skin probably didn't smell a whole lot better. And that was Elijah. But he, and also he was mistreated because Jezebel chased him across the desert trying to kill him. Jesus accused the scribes of building the to- tombs of prophets and approving of their executions. And the same thing happened to Stephen when he was given his defense in Acts chapter 7. He ended up saying, you whitewashed walls, you hypocrites, you, you didn't turn away from killing the God, God's prophets. And that's what made them want to kill St- Stephen. But he denounced them. And that's what happened. Because people who did the work of the Lord were often accused of awful things. Jeremiah, in his own book, he had to defend himself constantly because the people and the false prophets were constantly accusing Jeremiah of never having anything good to say. He didn't, but they accused him of that. They were the false prophets. He was the real one, but they persecuted him nonetheless. We remember Jeremiah was let down into a well and where he kind of sunk in the mud a little bit. Then they pulled him out and they locked him up in the courtyard of somebody's house. So he was He was very ill-treated, as a matter of fact. Now, these were considered worthy. They were wandering about in the deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. What was it that they were promised? They were promised that a Messiah would come. But none of those people in the Old Testament were able to see the Messiah actually being born. Because there's this 400-year period between the last prophet Malachi and the appearance of John the Baptist. None of those people, but they believed anyway. They trusted in the Lord. They believed. Remember last week we said faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. They had that level of faith where they could believe that the Messiah was coming. And they held on to that even though they never saw it. But they believed and they acted accordingly. Now, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Folks, their example of faith speaks to us even now. And it's crying out to us, urging us along to be just as faithful. They're up there, possibly up there cheering us on, saying, you can do this, you can do this. You know, we can imagine, can't we? And we can keep going because we see the example of faith that they showed and that we ought to desire that same level of faith and to walk holy. And how are we going to do that? Well, it says here and it tells us the answer in verse two, looking to Jesus. We look to the Lord for that level of strength and that faith. And you say, well, that's an easy thing to say. And it is indeed harder to do. But that's what we all need to aspire to, is to be able to walk with that same level of faith that those Old Testament saints did. And what we have to ask is, if, now that we've read this passage, are we discouraged today thinking that following Jesus is too difficult? Do we often get discouraged because we think, this isn't worth it, I just can't do this? Is sin wearing you down, tempting you to give in and take your eyes off Christ? If so, let's just say now is the time to press on in the strength of the Holy Spirit, trusting in God and his promises. We look to Jesus today, casting off our sin and asking him to convince us that the prize at the end of the race is worth it. Only by continually looking to Jesus in faith Will we cross into glory? And as we've said so many times, Christianity may be difficult in this life, but the retirement benefits are literally out of this world. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's edition of Power for Living. If you happen to miss any of our other programs, be sure to go to our podcast page at ChristTheKingNorthShore.podbean.com. And you can also visit our website at www.ctknorthshore.org. If this program has been a blessing, feel free to let us know. Write us at Power for Living, Care of Christ the King Church, 4 Railroad Avenue, Suite 309 in Wakefield, Massachusetts, 01880. Or you can also send us an email at ChristTheKingNorthShore at gmail.com. You can be a part of this gospel ministry by becoming a patron of Power for Living. You can find out how by clicking the Become a Patron button at the top of our podcast page. That's it for this week, and until next time, remember that Jesus is your Power for Living.